0: Hello and welcome to Mormons, Mystics, and Muons. Uh, today I wanted to talk about um, just something interesting I had come across a few weeks ago. I, I'm not that familiar with Grant Palmer. Um, I listened to a bit of his Mormon Stories episode, but I haven't read his book. But my understanding is that um, he kind of talks about the mystical interpretation of Joseph Smith and the history of the church and, um, talks about spiritual eyes and the witnesses. Um, but apparently he had claimed to have talked to a current 70 who he claimed was, um, kind of his informant. Um, But anyway, there's some... So in 2020, John Dillon, who had interviewed Grant Palmer um, a few times, um, John Dillon, this is after Grant Palmer had passed, had come out and revealed that the general authority that Grant Palmer, that was Grant Palmer's supposed informant, was F... Enzio Boucher and then I guess um after a couple days um whether whether Boucher's daughter one place I saw that she had threatened to sue him um or another place maybe there was concerns about Boucher's widow still receiving um the pension from the church anyway Dillon had taken down the post uh, outing Boucher as the um, supposed informant. Um, but, but I guess it still became public knowledge. And there's a couple Reddit posts about it. Uh, as I was looking th- through these posts, um, I found out some accounts of, I guess, some interesting beliefs that Boucher had, which very much align with kind of a more spiritual new age um cosmology and so so this is kind of the i just find it fascinating uh, and i haven't seen anybody else kind of report on this or put this together um so I want to read through a few posts and and just put this out there so this was the Mormon stories podcast so this was Delin's post i think a few days after he had outed Uh, Boucher as the informant, supposed informant, Uh, this is a post on Facebook saying, for those who want or need a refresher, these are the claims that Grant Palmer made about his meetings with the Emeritus Mormon General Authority he met who lost his faith, whom I discussed the name of a few days back after receiving independent confirmation from four independent sources. Out of respect for his family's concerns about his widow, whose income is still unfortunately tied to the church, I have taken down my post, and I'll not use his name for now, but I 100% stand by my sources and reporting, and I'll clearly state my motive. If a general authority loses his faith and his family knows it, I believe that he and his family owe it to Mormonism to tell us the truth, like Hans and Birgitta Matzen so courageously did to much sacrifice of comfort in their part. The Mormon church requires far too much time, money, and obedience of its members. It literally claims to speak for God and harms far too many people, women, LGBTQ individuals, people of color, youth, thinking members, families. That it is not okay for a general authority's family to know that the general authority lost his faith and to keep that quiet forever. People are dying. Families are being destroyed weekly. I and others like Natasha Parker and Margie spend our lives picking up the pieces of the fractured lives that are reeling in response to the false truth claims of Mormonism perpetuated primarily through Mormon general authorities, sciences, complicity in the carnage. And then he links to a post on um, the Journal of Loyal Dissent from 2013 um, that I'm going to read. So this is... Grant Palmer, who this page describes him as a renowned LDS historian and author of An Insider's View of Mormon Origins. So this is written by Grant Palmer. It's three titled Three Meetings with a, with a LDS General Authority in 2012 to 2013. In mid-October 2012, a returned LDS mission president contacted me to arrange a meeting. Several days earlier, he called again and said that a member of the first quorum of the 70 also wished to attend. He said the general authority would attend on condition that I not name him or repeat any stories that would identify him. He explained that neither of them, including the GA's wife, believed the founding claims of the restoration were true. He clarified that they had read my book, An Insider's View of Mormon Origins, and had concluded that the LDS Church was not true, was not what it claimed to be. The GA often went to mormonthink.com website for information, and there discovered my book. The mission president said he received my book from the general authority. We have at this writing met three times. We first met on Tuesday, October 23rd, 2012, and again, February 14th, 2013, at my house. On March 26th, 2013, we convened at the general authority's house. Upon entering my home for the first meeting, the general authority said, we are here to learn. I recognized him. He has been a member of the first quorum of the 70 for a number of years. He has served in several high profile assignments during this period. The following are the more important statements made by the General Authority during our first three meetings. We now meet monthly. He said that each new member of the quorum of the 12 apostles is given $1 million to take care of any financial obligations they have. This money gift allows them to fully focus on the ministry. He said that the overriding consideration of who is chosen is whether they are quote unquote church broke, meaning will they do whatever they are told? He said the senior six apostles make the agenda and do most of the talking. The junior six are told to observe, listen and learn and really only comment if they are asked. He said that it takes about two or three years before the new apostle discovers that the church is not true. He said it took Dieter Uchtdorf a little longer because he was an outsider. He said they privately talk among themselves and know the foundational claims of the restoration are not true, but continue on boldly, quote unquote, because the people need it, meaning the people need the church. When the mission president voiced skepticism and named blank as one who surely did believe, the general authority said, no, he doesn't. The $1 million gift plus their totally obedient attitude makes it easy for them to go along when they find out the church is not true. For these reasons and others, he doesn't expect any apostle to ever expose the truth about the foundational claims. When I asked the general authority how he knew these things, he answered by saying that the Quorum of the Twelve today is more isolated than the Quorums of the 70s now because there are several of them. When only one Quorum of the 70 existed, there was more intimacy. During his one on one assignments with an apostle, conversations were more familiar. He said that none of the apostles ever said to him directly that they did not believe, but that this was his opinion based on, quote, my interactions with them, end quote. Also, that none of the 12 want to discuss, quote, unquote, truth issues, meaning issues regarding the foundational claims of the church. He said that the apostles' lives are so completely and entirely enmeshed in every detail of their lives in the church, that many of them would probably die defending the church rather than admit the truth about Joseph Smith and the foundations of the church. The general authority stated that my disciplinary disciplinary action which would have occurred on the final sunday of october 2010 had i not resigned was mandated ordered approved by the first presidency of the church i said that if the apostles know the church is not true and yet order a disciplinary hearing for my writing a book that is almost certainly true regarding the foundational claims of the church then they are corrupt even evil he replied that's right the general authority said the church is like a weakened dam. At first, you don't see cracks in the face. Nevertheless, things are happening behind the scenes. Eventually, small cracks appear, and then the dam will explode. When it does, he said, the members are going to be shocked and will need scholars and historians like me to educate them regarding the Mormon past. The mission president and the general authority both said they attend church every Sunday and feel like, quote, a hypocrite entrapped, end quote. The general authority said his war treats him like a king, and when he gives firesides and speaks to LDS congregations, they have high expectations of him. He would like to do more in getting the truth out besides raising a few questions when speaking and gifting my book to others when feeling comfortable. Perhaps this is why he has reached out to me. The General Authority is a man of integrity and very loving. Upon leaving, each time he always gives me a big hug. So that was a, a written piece by Grant Palmer, about his meetings in 2012 2013 that was posted in 2013 so imagine that was written in um 2013. um so so yeah in 2020 is when john delin you know after both uh other boucher and grant palmer had passed away that's when john delin came forward and outed Uh, Enzio Boucher as the quote-unquote informant. Um, But then interestingly enough, there's another side of the story um, by this. This was the fascinating uh, part of the story that I haven't heard people talk about. Um, So four years ago, so this would have been before... I oh, know this. This was right after the the outing. So somebody posted on Reddit saying that John Dolan had just said that the general authority who spoke to Grant Palmer was F. Enzio Boucher. And so a redditor, I'm the Marmot King, uh, had an interesting post. He said, "Some of you are aware that I met with." palmer's general authority a few years ago i encourage everyone to review those comments i wrote here and then he linked to a another post which i will read next but then he goes on, he goes on and says uh, i'm not sure i agree with the lynn's decision to out him but i can confirm that elder boucher is the general authority that grant palmer met with multiple times but i am not one of dylan's sources if you read my previous comments you will learn that he disputed much of what palmer said about those meetings i was light on details because i didn't want to out him now that his identity is known i can share a few more details in particular i mentioned that elder boucher is not the hidden exmo grant portrays him as even though it's true he doesn't believe in hardly any of the church's truth claims part of the reason this is the case is that elder boucher never really bought into most of the church's truth claims for example he, he told me that he only got baptized as a young man in germany on the condition that he didn't have to believe in the old testament because and i quote quote jehovah is a mass murderer end quote he also claims the missionaries were upfront that joseph was an adulterer in short he never got baptized on the conviction of the restoration he got baptized because of the enormous love he felt from the missionaries a kind of love he feels is pretty much absent from church leaders now. He spoke glowingly about David O. McKay, but said the modern apostles don't know Jesus Christ. I asked him if he ever bore testimony of Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon. And he kind of hemmed and hawed and said maybe he did, but he never really cared about any of that. And this is the part. Uh, this is part of the reason I said he's not an exmo the way we are. I believe this detail alters the tenor of Palmer's piece quite a bit. Another detail which I'm going to be vague about out of respect is that when I met met Elder Boucher, he had moved on to some pretty outlandish beliefs, more outlandish than Mormonism, more outlandish than 9-11 truth or conspiracies. He spent about an hour of our three hours talking about these beliefs. An example of one of his less bizarre beliefs is that Joseph Smith, Jesus Christ, and others are, quote, ascended masters, unquote, to give you an idea of where he was at. Boucher is a fascinating individual, but he is not a smoking gun that the church leadership is secretly run by closet non-believers with million-dollar slush funds. He was, by my own admission, a general authority that never quite fit in, that was distrusted by others because of his outsider status, and that never really believed in the core tenets of the Restoration the way we did. It was always about pursuing God-like love for him. He felt like the LDS Church was the best place to do that half a century ago, but isn't anymore." And then a couple other comments. Um, Joseph Humbert Humbert asked, do you know if he had his second anointing? Because that would be very interesting to have a non-believer receive the golden ticket. And the Marmot King responded, yes, he has. I asked him about it and he kind of laughed it off as a silly thing. And Seven Places asked, curious if he asked you to keep the discussion confidential or knew he was spilling the beans. He told multiple people, it seems so not a big secret. And the Marmot King said, yes, he wanted it to stay confidential and was annoyed at how much Grant had revealed. I agree that it wasn't that big of a secret, though. Several people knew, and he was extremely open with me, even though I was a stranger. Um, Other interesting posts here. Somebody said, uh, John Phantom High said, ah, so he's a theosophist and all that's pretty interesting to hear. Honestly, I'm the Marmot King said I had never heard of ascended masters before meeting with him. And although I Googled it a bit after the fact, I can never get through much material on it. So theosophy is essentially, um, kind of new age beliefs. I don't know that it's strictly, it's not necessarily a religion, um, but it's, you know, it talks about Akashic records and, um, ascended masters. Um uh, but, I, but I think a lot of like the beliefs that fall under theosophy are float around kind of new age or spiritual beliefs, um, somewhat, somewhat literally, literally to, to some, but I think more symbolically to others. Um, And so somebody commented and said that the ascended master belief is similar to the Baha'i concept of manifestations of God, um, which is interesting. On my mission, I remember meeting uh, somebody and and saying, you know, talking about jo- Joseph Smith, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I believe Joseph Smith is a, a prophet, um, just like all these other people," um, and they were Baha'i, uh, and Baha'i is a fairly New Agey religion. I mean, it still talks of a specific concept of a god, but it but it's pretty similar to like New Age and spiritual uh, beliefs. Um. So somebody else asked, did he confirm any of the non-theological claims, like General Authorities getting all of their debts paid off and a large financial incentive to not deny the faith? I'm the Marmot King said, I addressed this in the previous comment of mine I linked, but he stated that those were just rumors he had heard as a general authority and not necessarily reflective of his own opinion. Palmer makes it sound like uh, sound much more substantiated. I confronted Grant Palmer about some of the discrepancies via email. This was only about a week before Palmer died. He was rather brusque about it and only answered. "Elder Boucher has either forgotten the content of those meetings or just or doesn't want to own it. so that's the extent from that post and then the the previous post so this was six years ago so this was a few years before boucher was outed and this is um a comment by i'm the marmot king on on another reddit post and So he said, it's hard to give too many details since I don't want to out him referring to the general authority. Here's my summary, though. After close to two years of searching and talking to several people in the know, I got enough information to deduce who it was, who it is. I was confident enough that I sent him a long, typewritten letter with some personal pictures explaining why I was looking for him and all that. A couple weeks later, I got a voicemail from him congratulating me for finding him. I called him back later, and we spoke on the phone for a bit. And he told me his story. Several months later, I knew I was going to be near him, so I gave him a phone call and asked to meet. He agreed, although he didn't remember me anymore by this time. I gathered I'm not the only person that has come knocking on his door. I sat with him for about three hours. He told me interesting stories about his life, among other things. When I brought up Grant Palmer's document, he told me he was misrepresented on many details. He didn't seem to remember much, though. I remember I read him several passages from Grant's piece. And sometimes it was like he was hearing it for the first time. In fact, he only seemed vaguely aware of all the talk about him. I truly don't think he is very aware at all about the eczema world, so to speak, other than that he knows people are waking up. I told him about some of the things Grant said on Dylan's podcast. He had no idea what that was. A few of the things he contends. Contested. One, that the brethren don't believe that they get a million dollar gift, etc. He said that this was not his opinion, but just some rumors he had heard while a general authority. Two, Elder Ukdorf taking longer than most apostles do to discover it's not true. He reacted as if he'd never heard this passage before, looked taken aback, and said he'd never say that. Three, that he was deconverted by reading Grant's books and gifts it to other people. The Seventy claimed he only read a few pages of it and didn't particularly like it. In fact, I think he said he threw it away. He said he rebuked Grant once for trying to tear down the church. There are other things as well, but I'm trying to be very conservative here and not give away too much. Overall, Grant gave off a vibe of having a much closer connection to this guy than he really did. I met with the Seventy not long after Grant's last appearance in Mormon Stories, which was right after Hamula's excommunication. In that interview, Grant stated that his seventy had told him that he had he met with Hamula on a specific day that he named, and he learned he was exed over adultery. That annoyed me since that information is so specific that it would effectively out the seventy since Hamula could have only met with so many seventies in one day, but it was a live podcast and couldn't be edited out. So when I spoke to the seventy, I assumed he'd have heard about this already and be outraged. Nope, contrary to what Grant claimed, the seventy hadn't spoken with Grant in months. It turned out Grant learned this through an intermediary. I know this intermediary because I have spoken with him before, and Grant specifically named him in an email to meet, which I'll get to later. So that's the one instance in which I can verify that Grant exaggerated his closeness with the 70. There's a bunch of other stuff I learned that is extremely relevant and would significantly change the tenor of Grant's promise piece, but I can't get into it without endangering his anonymity. But I think it's important to note that This 70 isn't really the closeted Exmo hiding in the wings, reading the Exmo Reddit and Mormon think and secretly trying to get people to leave the church. It's true that he doesn't believe in most of the truth claims of the church, but our similarities with the 70 don't extend much further than that, in my opinion. He doesn't live in our world. I would say the odds of him doing an Ask Me Anything or Something are effectively zero. So I emailed Grant Palmer, I think this was only a couple weeks before he died, and confronted him about a bunch of the discrepancies. I tried to be polite, Grant was short with me, didn't answer most of my questions, and intimated that the 70 was either not telling the truth or had forgotten the contents of their meetings. He referred me to a third party that was in those meetings. This is the person I mentioned earlier that was the go-between and revealed the Hemula stuff to Grant. But that third party was only in the later meetings and not the original one where the 70 supposedly said all the really crazy stuff about the brother not believing i didn't want to bother grant too much considering he was on his deathbed so i dropped it the third party has also told me that both he and the 70 were aghast at how many details were in grant's original piece about meeting with the 70 which contradicts grant's claim to me that the 70 had read through it and given his blessing before it was published it's possible the 70 is the one being dishonest or forgetful but my interactions with grant have led me to believe he wasn't very careful with details and prone to exaggeration the hamula thing in particular rubbed me the wrong way and that was verifiable that he didn't actually speak to the 70 himself about that bottom line there's not much more to learn from the 70 that we don't already know i got the impression he has a few stories about general authorities he thinks are jerks but he's super into positivity and not speaking ill of others and i only got to him to spill tea uh, I only got him to spill tea on one general authority he thought was an opportunistic ladder climber. He spilled tea in another, but he wouldn't give me a name. So other than, then, the fact that the seven that there's a seventy out there that doesn't believe, there's not much left to squeeze out of that rock. Uh, so I just found that was a fascinating, particularly the, the details about. Um, Enzio Boucher, uh, having some new age beliefs and feeling like Joseph Smith and, um, Christ were ascended masters. Um, uh, oh, there was another, there's another post that somebody had, um, put on Reddit to, uh, regarding this where somebody's mother uh, was in the mission where Boucher was the mission president and said that he had kind of gone crazy with spiritualist beliefs or something. Um, I don't know if it was like a mission reunion or something, but somewhere after the fact, the, this Redditor's mother had heard of Boucher's uh beliefs. So, anyway, I, I find that fascinating. I don't know much about Grant Palmer, I haven't read his books. Um, but it's interesting that. The, this kind of highlights this, again, this false dichotomy of like the church being true or all spiritual things being false and in the, the swing towards atheism and you know, materialism that most people leaving the church go to. Um, and it's interesting that Grant and other ex-Mormons wanted there to be this general authority that, uh, Fit that mold of feeling that the church was false and corrupt, um, when in actuality, this person had a fairly nuanced belief um, about, I guess, you know, believed a lot of esoteric things, which is, I think, this kind of middle ground or this recontextualization of Mormonism as um, just another flavor of esoteric beliefs and so i found that very fascinating that there was a general authority that appears to have had um very bizarre beliefs at least bizarre by the standards of an ex-mormon who had left the church and was probably um in the camp that so they felt like everything was a fraud and and made up um i couldn't find any any more information about um enzio boucher i i never i don't think i'd heard of him um but apparently had given some pretty powerful speeches somebody had reached out to me, I think recently, and I was chatting with them about this and they're like, Oh, he gave one of my favorite, uh, speeches, one of these BYU, um, speeches. So yeah, I'm curious how many other general authorities, um, have kind of evolving, uh, beliefs or more esoteric beliefs. I think it's an interesting discussion of what the uh, apostles and Quorum of the 12, the, the 15, I guess, believe. I know some people are, take this quite to an extreme and, and believe that they know that it's not true. And I even know people that are convinced that they're involved in ritual abuse. Um, I think I've never really... I have mean, known a lot of people that, um, I mean, personally, myself, you know, there was a lot of like faking it till you make it and trying to convince yourself that you believe things and, and reading and then praying about the Book of Mormon and being like, well, I didn't really get an answer, but I felt kind of peaceful when I prayed. Um, and I, my my guess would be that that the first presidency in the quorum of the 12, probably, um, probably very conflicted in their beliefs. Like I, I imagine there's a significant part of kind of their subconscious or, or part of them that has doubts. Um, but that they're also just so committed and, and when you have, when you're faced with those doubts, it's, you know, psychologically, it's, it's really common for people to double down and and to really um, look for anything that they can find that confirms that belief. And and sometimes you have to look for, um, you know, looking for people that are attacking the church um, is a good way to, to help feed that narrative of like, well, you know, if there, if it wasn't true, there wouldn't be this opposition. Um, But I also think that it's, it's undoubtedly true that many people in the church have had very spiritual, um, even mystical experiences. And I think that's one thing that is most often discounted by those that leave the church um, is that they, I think either because they haven't had many spiritual or, or you know, mystical, even like endogenous kind of psychedelic experiences in the church um themselves, which which that would I would fit that class. I mean, I really did not have many spiritual experiences in the church. I think one time I lost my wallet and I prayed and it was like right there after I prayed. That was actually like pretty bizarre and cool. Um but even then I tried to um logically say, ah, it could have been in the, the jacket that, but I mean, some people share really, um, really bizarre experiences. Um, and I think that, yeah, if you haven't had those experiences in the church, um, and those experiences can be, um, experienced by people because they, some people are just much more, predisposed to it and in our in our episode that we talked about um my experiences in that journal article that talked about spontaneous spiritual awakenings and kundalini awakenings i mean they showed that people that are more prone to having those endogenous psychedelic experiences you know mystical spiritual experiences um they had more right temporal lobe i believe um activity so some people just the way their brain is wired they're they're much much more able to and susceptible to, um, have these experiences, you know, guided meditations are really able to drop into these states. Um, others, myself included just really, um, have a hard time. I'm not that creative in that way. So some people are just more predisposed to it, but particularly, you know, um, fasting or really, you know, meditation, you know, some people's the way they pray is much more contemplative than maybe the the road fashion that um others do in the church. So some people are predisposed to it, other people are doing things that, you know, religious activities that will commonly um can can bring about these experiences. So I think some people dismiss them because they haven't had them. Other people, you know, I, I think have had some experiences that when they leave the church, it's it is hard to. That's one thing people discuss is like, well, how do you recontextualize um, those experiences that you had? Um, because you you want everything to fit into a neat box, just like when you were in the church, you wanted everything to to fit um, in a box, and the the shelf items were difficult. And so when you when you're leaving the church, you you don't want to have a shelf anymore. And so a lot of people dismiss those as elevation emotions. Um, which I think there is some truth to that, just, you know, being in a quiet temple that's beautiful, like it'll give you a peaceful feeling, but, but there definitely is, um, phenomena that are, are actual mystical experiences. That's what the research is showing, um, both into, um, spontaneous experiences, but, but certainly psychedelic experiences. And so, so yeah, that's a long way to say that um it could be very possible that apostles, prophets have had experiences where they've experienced Christ coming to them and um ministering to them, you know, whether it's a a dream or, or whether it is actual an experience of their reality, rendering that for them. Um I think that's, that's possible. I mean, I think when you hear, I listened to Denver snuffer on Mormon book reviews, talking to, um, talking to the host of Mormon book reviews. And he was talking about his experiences with, I think an angel and then Christ. And he was saying, you know, I, you know, I, he was cagey about, um, or, or, um, hesitant to, to say too much. Cause he was, he said that, you know, he didn't want to cast his pearls before swine and that people would make fun of it. Um, but he, he said that, you know, it was a physical manifestation of, of Christ, um, that like he felt him. And then one of his other experiences, I think one of his first experiences when he, and I don't know a lot about Denver snuffer. Um, but when he was taken somewhere by the angel, uh, or messenger, whatever that came to him, the host was asking, it was like, so were you in the same place or were you somewhere else? And, um, and and like if somebody was watching you in that room, would they see the angel or not? And Denver uh was like, you know, I don't know. He didn't know. And and so yeah, there, there's something obviously that's going on, and it's the same phenomenon, same category of phenomenon that people have, you know, when they're talking about a lot of these alien abductions or or UFO UAP uh, encounters. Um And so I think that's something that needs to be considered and and validate as, as experiences that people are having and that there's a way that they really believe they had and really did experiencing, uh, experience that. Um, and, and again, this all makes sense in other episodes. If you consider the philosophical, um, perspective of idealism and the fact that, you know, we're rendering reality as kind of dissociated parts uh dissociated consciousnesses of a kind of meta consciousness um somewhat akin to a dream where you know your alter or your your uh, little dream avatar is experiencing a world is experiencing others that are actually coming from the same uh meta consciousness uh even though it seems very real it's physical matter it's um space it's time it's all rendered through consciousness you know so there there are ways to discuss this and and integrate this and examine this without telling these people oh, that's made up in your head um or it's a hallucination um but yeah so i don't, you know in terms of the or the 12 apostles first presidency i don't know you know i'm not I think they genuinely are trying to do the right thing. I think that they um, probably, you know, they do seem to express some of this kind of victim or, or persecuted complex that I think has been part of the ego of the church um, from the beginning. Um, understandably so, you know, that's the, the perspective that I think Joseph Smith's family had um, from their situations and, just for everything that went on. So I think that's been part of the persona of the church and continues to um, live today within the leadership of the church. But I think they're, you know, likely trying likely believe to the most part that things are true, but they also probably have parts of themselves that that may not. So anyway, I went on a little bit there at the end, but, So that's just some interesting things about a general authority that Grant Palmer had claimed was an informant, but it it seems um, a non-believing informant, but the truth seems to be closer to that it was a general authority that had some esoteric, not orthodox beliefs. Um, And so I wanted to share that because I found that fascinating and I hadn't seen anybody else that had kind of tie this together to, I guess, you know, in this podcast we've presented a narrative where um I think all those new age beliefs um have a lot of merit, maybe not necessarily held literally, uh, but there's a there's a reason that they keep popping up through esoteric traditions over time. So anyway, thanks for joining me. Um I'll try to be more regular in posting Uh, recording and posting episodes and get some more guests on. I always forget to say this, but if you're new here and you're curious about what the overall narrative is and and how science and spirituality integrate and kind of a non-dichotomous black and white narrative on the history of the church and where the Book of Mormon came from, um, episode two would be the one to look at. It's essentially just kind of discussing how, you know, Joseph Smith likely experienced some spiritual metaphysical things um, and that it's the most likely conclusion to me is, is not that he made up everything, but that he actually believed many of these things um, and um, and that there are many esoteric, themes and i think actually the what i would say the most beautiful or fascinating or enriching themes within mormonism eternal progression you know eternal marriage um kind of the universalist view of you know work for the dead genealogy i mean these are actually all themes that um the most beautiful aspects of mormonism and somewhat unique aspects of mormonism actually overlap heavily with esoteric traditions and new age philosophy so episode two would be the one to listen to to hear that and yeah thanks for joining me hope everybody had a good christmas and i'll try to get back with some more episodes soon thanks